So there's an old story that says, if you wanted to cook a frog, you don't put the frog in the pot of hot water because the frog jumps out. But instead, you get the frog, you put it in a pot that has cold water, and you slowly click, gradually, you dial up the heat. Eventually, the cool water boils, and the unsuspecting frog is cooked. Good morning, everyone. My name... <laughs> <laughs> My name is Fred, and I'm not about to cook a frog this morning. <laughs> but I wonder if, if your life ever feels that, like that frog in the pot of hot water, and it feels like someone is actually dialing up the heat on you. Maybe you remember your parents saying, get an education, get married, settle down, or even have some children. And you did. You jumped straight into the pot of life. Remember your first job? It was great until you realized you had to work with other people and they were not nice at all. Then maybe you even got married and it was fantastic at first until you realized that actually people change. Then maybe you even had children and if you're like me, he turned three years. Or maybe they even turned into teenagers. And if you add to that financial issues, health problems, death and divorce, and after a while it gets so hot that you've run out of chances for people, you just want to jump out. Does anyone ever feel like that in this room? Where life gets so hot that you've given up? I have a word of advice for you. Don't because we are not frogs. See, we are more like half-baked bread. And yes, what is true is that we are not done yet. See, there is something cooking in the inside of each one of us. And I'm not talking about writing a book or composing a song or even starting a business. I'm talking about something in the inside of you that is necessary to bring all of God's dream for your life to life. Maybe what is cooking in you this morning is resilience or even love. Maybe it's even forgiveness that we are going to talk about. And in the Bible, the Bible is full of all these stories of people who, when you compare their lives, it's as if they were in the oven. God was cooking forgiveness. And this, the, the scripture that Josh has just read shows you a life of a young Joseph in the oven of life. And yet God was cooking forgiveness in his life. So the next time life throws the heat on you, don't run from it. Because don't mind the heat of life. Instead, mind what is cooking in the inside of you. The other time, I um, stumbled across a website. This website has been existing since the year 2014. The website goes by the name slate.com. And on this website, a group of 10 people came together. These are like professionals, like in psychology, and they, they did a research, and they came together, put up a website, and it's called the website of Rage. And they declared 2014 was a year that the rage in the people 
was so bad that they had never seen it before. And they recorded it never changed from 2014. People have just been raging on social media, on Twitter, on Facebook, and that has been the, the case. And so on that website, what they did, they went in the year 2014, day by day, month by month, week by week, recording the one thing that people got annoyed about. And so you can actually go on sled.com and you can click and you've, something will pop up on any day you choose. If you went to 2016, probably when you clicked, any day or any week, a name Donald Trump will pop up. If you went 2017 again, Donald Trump will pop up. And people were annoyed at him, not only because of what he said, but because of his hair. Or he should have shook the queen like this. He shouldn't have touched the queen. And people just talk and rant and rant. No forgiveness at all. It's a website where they just record what goes on in people's mind. And thanks to uh, Twitter, people have a platform to actually complain and have no solution. And so... Because I got so involved in that, I also had my own journey of raging. Over the last few months or years now, I also went through the same website trying to look out for some of the things. And the topics on the website range from politics, then you came to race, and I got captivated by race, especially in America. And so I, as in uh, the year 2018, September on the 6th, if you, pop, if, you uh, pressed, if you clicked on it, the case of Amber Geiger jumped out. So Amber Geiger turned out to be a former Dallas police officer who had a 13-hour shift. She was exhausted and entered an apartment that went by the number 1478. Amber Geiger found a black man, 26 years old, in his own apartment, who was called Botham Jones. Botham was an accountant and also a church worship leader in his church. He was unarmed, seated in his apartment in his boxer shorts, eating ice cream and watching TV. Amber Geiger pulled out her gun, shot and killed him. In court, Amber claimed that she, because she was exhausted, she mistook apartment 1478 to be apartment 1378, and she killed him. And she was sorry. But because we've, we've now entered the age of rage, this caused an outrage in America, especially the African-American communities. People were demanding for justice. And if you're like me, this whole incident touched a wrong nerve. In the churches, people were not just hoping that Amber Geiger gets convicted. They were praying that she gets convicted. There was no mercy at all. And finally, she was charged and she was convicted for murdering Botham Shem Jones. Everyone was celebrating. CNN was reporting. They actually recorded, if you go on the internet, the whole case was reported on from day one of the trials till sentencing. 
And so everyone was happy, but the victory was short-lived when everyone learned that Amber Geiger only got 10 years in prison for murdering a black man, unarmed, in his boxer shorts, seated in his apartment. And she could get out at five years on good behavior. And again, the internet jumped at it, and everyone was mad. They were, it became a huge place of raging that people were carrying signs, Black Lives Matters, and everything was going the wrong way in, the, in Dallas. And so what happens? On the day of sentencing Amber Geiger, something else also happened. Because when the judge is sentencing, there's what is called the plead in mitigation, where people come to speak, especially, say, a family that has been affected, one of them will come, so or the person that has offended also has someone that speaks on their behalf. And the whole point is to try and change the judge to either increase the sentencing or reduce the sentencing. And so Amber Geiger's mother came. She spoke, of course, she said, my daughter regrets for the decision that she made that day, and she's really sorry. Botham's dad also spoke, and he again say the pain that the whole thing had caused him and how now they will never see their son again. But when, Amber, when Brad, uh, Botham John's brother was given a chance to make his plea in mitigation, the whole court changed and became silent and quiet. Because this is what he said. He looked at Amber and told her, I'm not going to remind you of the pain you've caused my family because I know you already know that. I'll not say it the second time. But I want to let you know, and I'm not going to stand here and say, I hope you wrote in jail. He then says, I also want you to know I don't hate you. I love you. He then goes on and says, I don't even wish you go to jail. And I forgive you. Then Brad, uh, Brad Jones then goes on and he asks the judge, can I please go and give Amber Geiger a hug? The judge, of course, first refused, and he pleads with the judge, please, can I give her a hug? Finally, the judge says yes. He goes and he embraces Amber Geiger for about a minute. And everyone in that court was crying. The judge was crying. But again, because we all differ in what forgiveness looks like, Brad Jones' comments that day also caused another outrage in the body of Christ. On the one hand, you had people who stood up and said, that is what it means to be a Christian. That is what Jesus was talking about when he said, you have to forgive one another. On the other hand, you had people saying, what a shame. There goes another black guy forgiving so easily. And if you're like me, probably you are swinging somewhere in the middle saying, he's a better man than me. I don't know if I can forgive that easily. Maybe I can look at it in 10 years after she serves her sentence. But the one thing that we have to come in terms with, and 
the one thing that we have in common, regardless of which side you stand on, is that forgiveness is at the core of the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ. If Jesus was about anything, it was about forgiveness. And see, the day you and I sign up to follow him, to become his follower, we are signing up for the same ministry to forgive one another. That's why I'm challenged when Jesus says, you don't only forgive once or twice or three times, you forgive seven times, seven times. That's why I'm challenged when Jesus says, how do you expect my Father in heaven to forgive you if you can't forgive one another? That's why I'm challenged when Jesus says, at the cross, when he's hanging, bleeding in pain, when he still has the power of God to say, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. I'm challenged. That's why you have to thank God that it wasn't me on that cross, because I don't have that in me. See, revenge, I get that. Cursing you up, I, I get that. But forgiveness, I struggle with that. Yet we are all called to forgive. Yes, we can differ in what forgiveness looks like, to what extent we give forgiveness, when it happens, but this has to be at the core of our salvation, forgiveness. And I, if I know life the way I think I do know life, is that at some point, every one of us in this room this morning is actually going to struggle with forgiveness. I don't also have to be a prophet to say, maybe even some of us walked in this room carrying wounds from the people that have wronged us. I don't have to be a prophet to say that some of us may have wounds that are still very sensitive and even thinking about it causes rage and anger and resentment. Maybe your wound is a scar and it's in the process of healing. But we all know what it means to journey through life and to be wounded by people that we thought would never treat us like that. People we trusted, people we loved. See, offense is inevitable. And because it's inevitable, offense has the power to cause our Christianity to be in contention with our identity. Offense has that power on us. And if we don't watch out, it's very easy not to reconcile those two positions, your Christianity and your identity. And every one of us is also going to struggle, like I said. And when that moment happens, when you're struggling with forgiveness, I want you not only to remember the story of Brad Jones, his act of forgiveness, but I also want you to remember what goes down in the book of Genesis, in chapter 50. The book of Genesis talks about the patriarchs and the matriarchs in Israel. The book of Genesis talks about Adam and Eve. It talks about Noah. The book of Genesis talks about Isaac, Abraham, and Sarah. Isaac and Rebekah. It talks about Jacob and Leah and Rachel. But the book of Genesis is about Joseph. 
Joseph is the 11th child out of 12 boys that were born to Jacob. However, Joseph and Benjamin were the only two children born to Jacob's true love, Rachel. And because of that, Jacob favored Joseph. One day, Joseph gets a dream and he shares it with his other brothers. See, the problem was not the dream, because this dream was a dream of greatness. It wasn't the dream. The problem was him sharing the dream with his brothers. They couldn't get it, because he was favored by his father, and he had a dream of being great, greater than them. They were envious, and they came up with a plan to kill him. They threw, of course, they threw him in, the, in, in, the, in, in a hole, but then they came up, came up with another plan and sold him into slavery. And because they sold him into a foreign land, that triggered a series of bad events after bad events after bad events after bad events in his life. But Joseph, in the Bible, it's recorded that even when those bad things happened, God was still with him. He was lied to. He was falsely accused. He was thrown in prison. People who said they would remember him never did. But then when you go to verse, uh, chapter 40 and 41, Joseph now is picked up by Pharaoh and now he's elevated at a place we all want to be in. He was second to Pharaoh. You can say vice Pharaoh. He had the power to, to service all the nations around him. He had the authority to give, up food, to give out food or to say you won't, get, you won't eat for the month. He had the power to run Pharaoh's household. And of course, his brothers, where they were staying, they ran out of food and they were sent to Joseph to get some food from him. Joseph recognized them when they came, but they didn't. I wonder what a sweet spot to be in when the people that offended you actually need you. I wonder, what would you do? Listen to what Joseph tells his brothers. In verse, uh, I'll quickly read. So when his brothers came, um, we'll read from verse, verse 19. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. I am in the place, am I in the place of God? God intended it for good. You intended to harm me, sorry. But God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done. The saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and he spoke kindly to them. Can you feel the forgiveness in the words of Joseph? He has the power 
to act in anger. He has the power to speak harshly to them. And yet he chooses not to do that. That's why I want us to look at forgiveness in the perspective of Joseph this morning. How Joseph was able to give forgiveness to the people that meant to kill him. And I've come up with four points that I think I want us to dwell on today. Number one, we have to make a deliberate decision to release ourselves from anger. Anger is addictive. And it has the power to make you have authority over the people that offend you. And you th- because you, you think you have the power, you feel justified to speak to them anyhow you want, to treat them like rubbish. So when people offend us, what they've done, it's like they, they cling a chain on us. And when we act t- towards them in anger, it's like we try to drag them with us. And yet Joseph, just like Brad Jones, these are two young men that refused their anger to control them. They said no. Christian writer John Bivery said, he has a, a very nice book that I'll recommend, The Bait of Satan. He says that offense and being wounded is one of the most productive tools that the devil uses on your life. Not only to deter your relationships here on earth, but also your relationship with God. Nelson Mandela also has something to say about this. If you don't know Nelson Mandela, he's a former South African president that was in prison for 28 years, 27 and a half years in jail. And during those years on this island called Robben Island, Nelson Mandela, his mother died. He asked for permission to go and bury his mother. As, he, as, he, as, as a firstborn, it was re, his responsibility, and the authorities said no. During those years, his wife was imprisoned more, more than four times. During that time, Nelson Mandela lost his firstborn son in a car accident. Of course, they refused him to go to bury him even when he gave them his word that he will return. And yet, he has the ability to write and say, anger is like drinking poison and hope the other person that offended you is going to die. When he walked out of prison, the very first words he said, even as I walk out of this prison, I know if I don't leave my anger behind, I'm walking into another prison. That's what anger does to us. And it reduces the other person that offended you to that place. And because you have the power, you want to treat them the way they treated you. And we all know that doesn't end well. And we also wonder, why was Joseph, why, why, why was it easy for him to let go of his anger towards his brothers? Number one, Joseph takes time to go through his emotions. If you go back a couple of chapters, it says that whenever Joseph wanted to talk to his brothers, he actually left the room and 
cried and shouted and came back composed. It takes time to forgive. Forgiveness is, is not a destination. It is a journey. And guess what? That journey does not begin with an apology. If you wait for an apology from your offenders, you will never begin that journey. Because forgiveness is not about them. It's about you. I'm not an English speaker, but I know that forgiveness, the word forgiveness, the root word of forgiveness is give. It's you giving mercy. Because forgiveness does not even depend on justice. If you wait for justice, you will never be able to forgive. Forgiveness is an act of kindness to release you, to cast off your chains and let the other person go. Forgiveness is, not so, is, is also not healing. It will not heal you. For the healing belongs to God. When you forgive, you're just saying, I release myself from you, the person that offended me. The other reason why I think Joseph was able to forgive so easily, he knew where he was standing. He told his brothers, you meant this for evil, but God. He knew where he was standing. He was next to Pharaoh. See, when you hang, hang around anger, you forget the blessings that come after you've been offended. If you're like me, you had a relationship probably that didn't work out. I had a girlfriend. It went really bad. It wasn't my fault. It was her fault. I can stay in that anger and say, she did that. And I can forget to look at my amazing wife, my two beautiful children, and where I am standing at the moment. Because if I choose to stay in the place of resentment, that's what unforgiveness does to you. So Joseph knew he was standing in the place of blessing, and he chose to operate in that place. That's why I think it was so easy. And see, because you choose to let go of your anger, there's a big chance that the devil is going to come and say, you are foolish. How can you forgive so easily? How can you let go? If Brad Jones stayed and said, my brother was unarmed, boxer shots in his own apartment, no way. Maybe he would have gone out to revenge. But he chose to work through his emotions and let go and know it could have been me, but it wasn't me, so I can easily let go. The other reason why I think the lesson we get from um, Joseph is that we have to take a difficult decision to dis about the truth of the offense. We have to discuss the truth about the offense. And it doesn't have to be nasty. It can be as simple as, Josh, in 2015, you stepped on me. I didn't like it. It made me feel really bad. 
I just wanted to let you know. Like, and that's it. It's gone. Or maybe you can even just write a letter. I've read so many stories of people that couldn't. Maybe their offender is in jail and they had to write a letter and say, I release you. You go and find your forgiveness. Brad Jones, in court that day, added on, he ended his speech and told Amber Geiger, I hope you go to God and ask him to forgive you too. And if you're sincere, he will. Because very rarely are we going to forgive our offenders if they are not aware of what they did to us. In South Africa, I love the history of South Africa. I'm sure by now you would tell. Because the whole story of South Africa changes your mind to how people can treat people so lowly and how people can forgive each other so that they can live in harmony. The very first thing that Nelson Mandela and Bishop Desmond Tutu did was to set up a Truth and Reconciliation Committee where people would come and say, you did this to me. It wasn't pointing fingers or shaming or blaming. It was, you did this to me. It made me feel this way. And the other person had a chance to say, I'm sorry. And one of those cases was that two black, black boys that had killed a wife of a white person. And so these two people had never come face to face. Of course, the boys were seated on the other side. And the guy told them, I participated in apartheid. I mistreated black people. But my wife never did that. But yet you killed her. It made me feel this way. Instead of the boys defending themselves, they just told him, we are sorry. We never thought of it that way. We were just protecting ourselves. These two people, the two boys and the white guy, hugged and forgave each other. It wasn't anything nasty. So you have to have a discussion with the people that offend you. And if you need time, please take your time. But just make sure you, you work through that. Also, decline to disclose the offense to people that don't need to know. If I asked you how you're doing, I don't need to know about your offenders. I just need you to tell me you're good or you're not. See, the Bible says that whenever Joseph was confronting his brothers, he sent everyone out of the room. He never spoke to his brothers in the presence of Egyptians because he knew where he stood. He knew that if Pharaoh got to know what his brothers did to him, they would be dead. And so because we think we have the power, with, because as a human being we want people to hate those that we hate and to love those that we love, we think we can go and tarnish everyone's name. Yes, they've done something wrong, but it doesn't have to end that way. For example, Tim here. Me and Tim, imagine we have a one-off. We disagree. And Tim goes on and runs his mouth. Sorry, Tim. <laughs> and he says things about me. 
and it annoys me. And then one day I come to church and I find him preaching. And he moves the house. 20 people give their lives to Christ. And everyone is happy for Tim. But I'm not. And then, sorry Josh. Then Josh comes to me. And he's like, man, that was powerful. Instead of me acknowledging the, the move of God in this room, guess what I'll tell John? Let me tell you about Tim. <laughs> Forgiveness is not that. We don't have to reduce people to their act of offense. They are still people. And everyone needs a second chance. Number four is that you need to determine that the destination of your offenders is in the gracious hand of God. It is not in your hand. Joseph told his brothers, I am not God. I am not God. It's not me that will punish you. It's not me that will determine your destination. It depends on God. Of course, there are consequences. Amber Geiger ended up in jail. That was her consequence. But it wasn't in the hands of Brad Jones to reduce Amber Geiger to that one event that happened. Yes, his brother was dead. But this young man realized that it is not in my hands. It is in the hands of God. And in one way, we can easily move to that, to that place where we leave the offenders in the hands of God. Is pray for them. I learned my lesson again. The same girlfriend that broke my heart, she actually broke my heart and actually went with my best friend. We were both in church, and I was mad. So I go to a pastor, pastor number one, very nice guy, he prays for me. Pastor number two brings out the Bible, gives it to me, and he says, Fred, I want you to open this Bible. Because when I went to him, I said, she's the one. I was meant to marry her. So this guy gives me the Bible and says, Fred, I want you to open this Bible. If you find one scripture that says she's your, your wife, I'm going to pray for you. I was mad. Because that's not what I expected. So I go to the third pastor. He was the worship pastor. His name is Doug Stride. A white man, very lovely guy. So I go to him because my friend and my girlfriend were working under a ministry that was run by him. So I thought at least this time I'm going to get support. All I wanted in my head is Pastor Doug to go and tell them, you're evil. You can't do that. But that's not what he told me. He looked at me and said, Fred, you should thank God that this didn't happen in a marriage. I was mad. <laughs> and then he went on and said, I want you to actually pray for them. I'm telling you, for two years I never did. And I hated Pastor Doug. Didn't even want to cross where he walked. Because I was like, they offended me. 
how then do you expect me to kneel down and pray to God for them? After two years, started working with an organization, Watoto, started traveling on choirs, started my life. She was not part of my life. And somehow, I started praying. The first prayer wasn't easy. The second prayer wasn't easy. But it's, it got easier. The more I opened my mouth and said, please bless them. Then I even moved further. I even started fasting on the, on the day that I set aside the whole day for just blessing them. And I'm telling you, the pain, the resentment, the anger, it disappeared in those prayers. So easy. That's the best way if you ever want to get back to your offenders. Pray for them. Don't pray against them. Don't pray that God will throw them in the fire that will never stop. Pray for God to bless them. Pray for God to change their hearts that they won't offend other people the way they offended you. Pray for them. And so even as I conclude today, I want to conclude by asking you a question. Simple question. Who do you need to forgive? See, forgiveness is not easy. It's very difficult. Yet, it is not impossible. Nelson Mandela again said, Forgiveness liberates the soul. It removes all fear. That's why forgiveness is such a powerful tool in our lives. Try it. It's very legit. It works. It will keep you young. It will make you friends. And it will take you in places you never imagined. Amen. Let us pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I want to thank you so much for this opportunity that we've had to learn, to listen, and to be challenged to forgive. I pray that if there's anyone among us that is still struggling to work out on how to let go, on how to control the anger, on how to pray for the offenders, I pray that you work within us. Teach us how you did it, how you are able to stand on the cross and still forgive those that offended you. Give us that heart that yearns for forgiveness. Help us to take the first step, even as we begin the year and the new week, that we'll be aware that it's not the heat of life that is important. It is what that heat is cooking in us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.